flow is a kind of altered state of consciousness where you're absolutely focused on what you do. You're so much focused that any other thing just gets out of your mind. There's no negative thinking. Things are working. Uh, you're working like on autopilot uh, automatically. There's a kind of effortless attention. You're so much focused on your activity that you really lose the sense of time as well, which can result into your experience, for example, a two-hour run as being, I don't know, a two-minute run. What does it take to do the impossible? What does it take to level up your game like never before? What does it take for individuals, organizations, for even institutions to achieve paradigm shifting? Nothing is ever the same again. Breakthroughs. Our mission is to decode the neurobiology of flow and cognitive peak performance. Access the minds of maverick scientists, groundbreaking innovators, and world-leading experts to understand what it takes to achieve ultimate human performance. So you can feel your best, perform your best, and accomplish your boldest goals. I'm your host, Rian Doris, and together with best-selling author Stephen Kotler, I present to you Flow Research Collective Radio. Hey there, Rian Doris here with the Flow Research Collective. Today's guest is a treat and a true flow scientist. And I'm not just saying that. Our guest, Dr. Michelle Ufer, is a runner, a performance coach, and a researcher that studies flow above all else. And recognizing, testing, and overcoming limits is really what Dr. Michelle Ufer is all about. As a scientist, he researches the subject of limits and flow. And as a successful extreme runner, he tests his research on his own body. And as a coach, he has an expertise in training individuals for over 20 years. What skiing is for Stephen, running is for Michelle. And Michelle has written six books on flow, some in English, many of them in German. One of his German books actually translates to Flow Hunter, which we find a pretty cool name. And you're going to really enjoy this episode, he's going to talk about how he defines flow, how self-talk impacts the challenge skills balance, and lots more. Now, before we dive in, I want to mention Zero to Dangerous. Zero to Dangerous is our flagship peak performance training, and we actually are currently accepting a number of spots right now. Zero to Dangerous is really designed to give you the peak performance tools and practices needed to work towards spending the entire day your entire workday in a flow state rather than being consumed by distractions and low-level trivial work. We want to really help you get things in place so you can spend that whole day deep in the zone where you are wildly productive, fully honed in, and focused on your highest priority task, blazing towards whatever your goals are. So if that's of interest to you, Zero to Dangerous may be a fit. In Zero to Dangerous, you'll work one-on-one with our peak performance coaches, all of whom are PhD-level academics in neuroscience and psychology, experts who can really help you along the way. You'll also go through our whole curriculum of peak performance maps and models, and you'll get lifetime access to weekly live group coaching calls, which are facilitated by our PhD-level coaches. So if you're an entrepreneur, a leader, or a knowledge worker, and you want to take your professional success to the next level, Zero to Dangerous may be for you. So to apply for Zero to Dangerous, just go to getmoreflow.com. That's getmoreflow.com. And you can assess whether it's a good fit 
for where you're at right now. So that's getmoreflow.com. Pop your application through. Takes 30 seconds. We'd be excited to speak with you. Thanks a lot uh, for inviting me on to your show. I'm really excited sharing my story and experience with you. I'm for now 20 years working as an applied psychologist and mental trainer, and I'm also an active athlete. Uh, the last couple of years, let's say 10 years, I'm uh, quite a lot into the running business. I've done uh, some of, well, the most extreme ultra marathons in the world and applied my mental training techniques during the races and as well in order to prepare for these races. And uh, although when I did my first race, I was not experienced at all. I was not a real runner, but I signed up for a 250K ultramarathon race in the Atacama Desert. And all my surrounding, my family, friends, they said, Michel, you're crazy. You are not a runner. You have never done any marathon. You have never run any half marathon nor a 10K race. You can't run 250K in a desert. They said, you're crazy. I said, yeah, maybe. But uh, I anyway wanted to try out. And uh, I told them this race, my first race ever, would be a kind of self-test, an extreme self-test where I wanted to experience on my own body and uh, demonstrate how mental training and the ability to guide yourself into a flow state can enhance performance dramatically. So uh, another curious point was that I signed up just three and a half months before the race. Can I, I just want to interrupt you for a second. For everybody who doesn't know, the Atacama Desert, that's chilly, right? Oh, the Atacama Desert, uh, just some background information. It's the driest place on earth. It's uh, about 50 times drier than the infamous Death Valley in the US. It's at an altitude of 2,500 to 4,000 meters. So during daylight, it's, it's very hot. It's uh, 40 plus degrees Celsius. And at night, it can be really freezy down to minus 10 degrees Celsius. So the terrain is really tough. And before I let you go back to your story, the average person, the average competitor takes how long to complete the 250K? You mean how many hours it does take to complete the race? Two and a half days, right? Uh, the race is organized as a stage race. So every day you have to cover a distance of up to 100K within six days. So the first stage was 30K, then uh, 42, 45 I gained 40, then a 78K stage. The last stage was supposed to be 20K, but then reduced to 10K. So uh, the total amount was 200, about 250, but divided into six days. Cool. Every day, one stage. And at the end of the stages, athletes were provided a group tent for 15 people and hot water. That was all. So... The runners, they had to carry all their personal equipment, including their food, for these six days, which means uh, athletes had to carry a backpack of uh, 8 to 10 kilos, including sleeping bag, change clothes, first aid kit, their food for these six days, whatever they thought they need during the six days. So this was a kind of extra challenge, carrying your 8 to 10 kilogram 
backpack during the whole race. During these stages, the only service you got was every 10 to 20K, a checkpoint where doctors had a look at you and decided whether you can continue or not. And uh, you got uh, fresh water. This was all. So it was a self-supported race. Of course, you really rely on what you bring and what you carry on your own. So quite more complex than typical, I don't know, city marathons where you run 40K, uh, you get food, drinks every 5K or whatever, where tons of people cheering at you, motivating you, standing at the street, playing music or whatever side program. At this desert, there's nothing. There's just you, a couple of athletes, about 120, and the challenge to finish the race. My goal was because it was the first race I ever signed up in my life just to finish somehow. I didn't care about finish time or ranking. Just finishing itself for me was such a huge goal. And during the race, something magic happened. Although every day my primary goal was just to finish, I was quite strong in the race. And the first day I finished Position in the first third of the field as 35 or 6. On the second day, I run into the top 10. And from there on, I kept being in the top 10 of the race. And uh, my best daily finish was the fourth position. So everyone on site, the race organizers and uh, as well the other competitors, they were looking at me and said, Michel, that's not possible. You're not an experienced runner. You never did a 10K race, no marathon, nothing. And you finish on a top 10 position in this race. This is just incredible. It's unbelievable. And I said, yeah, it is. But I can explain you why perhaps I was performing that good. And I explained them. I was relying on mental training, on the self-hypnosis. Uh, I'm working with the flow coaching techniques and When I finished the race and I sit in the desert, a couple of days later, I already got some phone calls from German newspapers. They just realized, ah, a German guy is out there and he's surprising himself and others performing quite well. And what's the secret behind? And then all the story began. I started diving deeper, deeper into the stuff and uh, started writing articles about my approach. And uh, finally also became a researcher. <laughs> Michelle, thanks for that breakdown. Can you tell us a little more about the journey into research and the kind of research that you've been doing? Yeah. When I was talking about mental training and, and flow coaching, I got a lot of requests by athletes who were interested into coaching, endurance athletes, just runners, triathletes, but also athletes from completely different walks of life, like golfers, expedition, mountaineers, whatever, and also journalists. And they were always asking me about flow. Flow. And I wanted to know a bit more about flow and how can you achieve it and does it really have an impact on performance? And I realized that I didn't find an answer in science. The literature didn't cover flow in extreme ultramarathon running even in uh, 
long distance running like marathons or i don't know 10 20k races the answers were quite contradictory concerning the preconditions of flow and also the effects of flow so i had to tell the journalist yeah i have an idea and i think i know that flow has an impact on performance and i think i know about some preconditions but there was a lack of science behind i didn't find any valid answer in scientific literature and at this point i just said to myself michel hey a couple of years ago you already had the idea to do a phd research project maybe now it's the right time to do something like this to find the answers you are searching for and yeah this was the starting point for me to get into the science and uh, my first step was to find a university and a supervisor who was willing to support me because uh, at this time i was not supposed to enter a scientific career because i'm applied psychologist i have my own business so i wanted to do this i don't know what to say in addition in my free time or as a kind of side program and i finally found someone who was very interested in my story and approach and in uh, 2014 i started working on my phd on sports psychology with focus on this flow in extreme conditions i just wanted to ask michelle As a follow-up question there, what definition of flow you most frequently use when people ask you what a flow state is or what your research is around flow? And then after that, I would love for you to define mental training as well. What do you mean by mental training? I'm going to pile on Michelle with another request because I know this is a lot at the heart of your work and I find it really interesting because it's not a technique we work a ton with. But can you talk a little bit about what you mean by self-hypnosis as well? Flow is a kind of altered state of consciousness where you're absolutely focused on what you do. You're so much focused that any other thing just gets out of your mind. There's no negative thinking. Things are working. Uh, you're working like on autopilot uh, automatically. There's a kind of effortless attention. You're so much focused on your activity that you really lose the sense of time as well which can result into your experience, for example, a two-hour run as being, I don't know, a two-minute run, or maybe vice versa. People, for example, I also was coaching a motocross driver, and the sense of time is contradictory. So they experience seconds as, I don't minutes, as if everything is happening extremely slowly. They can perceive everything uh, they have all the time to choose the strategy to act everything seems to be slowing down although it's objectively not it's really speedy <laughs> so the loss of uh, sense for the time that's my brief definition of flow so really focused state of consciousness mental training well There's many definitions of mental training, I think. And uh, mental training originates in sports psychology. And this original sense means that you're performing a movement in your mind without executing. 
and repeating this internal image again and again in order to improve uh, real-life movements, but without executing. This is an original definition of mental training, executing just in your mind without uh, really executing a movement. But then there is also another definition of mental training, enlarging a bit the definition, because you don't just need to reduce mental training to movement, but to all kind of uh, actions you are maybe preparing. And we all know this. You imagine yourself, how you answer to a question when you're in an exam or whatever. Pilots, they prepare tough situations by mentally rehearsing again and again difficult situations. A couple of times I had people here, they had problems passing a driving license because they were so nervous. So I helped them work in front of their inner mind again and again, a situation, a driving situation, an exam, when everything works smoothly and like in the flow, relaxed, but uh, concentrated without actually sitting in the car. They were sitting in my coaching area, but in their inner mind, they were driving the car. So this is mental training maybe in a narrow sense. Original sense is movement in your eyes. Narrow sense, all kinds of actions that you, you're doing in your mind. And then in a broader sense, mental training is improving everything on the mental side that might help you reach your goals faster, better, and uh, whatever these goals might be. So this is not reduced to uh, mental training, uh, working with uh, internal images, with visualizations. So it can be all kind of stuff. Self-hypnosis or hypnosis, it's kind of easy definition. It's techniques that help you or others get into a trance state, an altered state of consciousness. And these techniques can be very diverse and depend a bit on the person, personality as well. So, yeah, just a toolbox to, to guide oneself or others into trance state. I love your emphasis on that it's different in different people. I always get worried when people figure out what works for them and try to teach it to others. The biology is constant, but everybody's really individual you know, and how personality gets set up and, you know, really core personality traits like introversion and extroversion and such play such a big role in how you approach peak performance. So I, I appreciate that. Yeah, definitely. And for example, when I came back from this Atacama race, some of my friends, they immediately started telling me, oh, Michel, you need to give uh, motivational talks. You have to do presentations. You have to write a book. <laughs> and I said, guys, slow down. All the techniques, they worked fine for me now. It does not mean that they will work for others the same way. So I was slowing down a bit, this uh, kind of enthusiasm coming from my surrounding. Oh, Michel. I want to tell you, honest to God. So I think this is what happens to everybody, but I was not as smart as you. I learned what worked for me, you know, in my late 20s and early 30s through surfing and such. And I wasn't that wise. I just, like my friends wanted to know. So I started telling them as if I really knew. And what I like to say is that 
By the time I realized how wrong I was, I nearly caused two divorces. I put one guy in the hospital. I almost put another guy in the hospital. Like what works for me is guaranteed not to work for you. That I learned the hard way. <laughs> yeah, uh, I took a bit more time. I don't know if it was uh, wise or wiser, but uh, I had the opportunity to start writing some articles on my approach. And uh, these articles were published in a leading German running magazine. And I realized that I got a lot of feedback from many people I don't know and finally came to the conclusion that, oh, okay, the strategies I used seem to work for others as well. But still, I was a kind of um, skeptical whenever I got a call from a journalist asking me for the five golden motivational tips. Oh, my God. <laughs> I hate that question. <laughs> yeah. My response now is, why five? Let's reduce it to one. It will become even more easy. And the one very important golden tip is never trust the top five golden motivational articles. <laughs> Don't read them. Don't waste time. Instead of that, rather go out, have a beer, a cocktail, go for a run or <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Michelle, even with the individualized nature of the training you do, obviously, as you or Stephen are mentioning, I'm sure some protocols or things that you do with clients when you're working with them do surface frequently. Can you give us some examples of tools or practices or habits that you have people regularly implement? Yeah, definitely. Well, the last couple of years, I set up a coaching protocol and tested it again and again with different people, different goals. And this worked really well. And the protocol is especially with clients I'm working for the first time, I ask them to spend two days with me or two half days. During these two half days, the first step is, or more in general, during this protocol, I'm combining Elements of uh, peak performance mental training, uh, so working with visualizations, uh, improving self-talk, analyzing uh, the motivation of the people, which is very important. Uh, goal setting often is done just on a very superficial way, so there's a lot of room for improvement. And this mental training techniques applied to the individual and uh, the situation uh, where this individual lives in is then also combined with a brief coaching, brief and resource-oriented coaching, and then active allied hypnosis, which is one of my, my key elements, which I used also during Atacama uh, crossing and different other races on five continents. So uh, technique to uh, put yourself in a trance, in the flow-like state. And during these active alert hypnosis, we're again focusing on all the stuff we've developed before during the mental training and coaching session and try to implement these or to intensify these and to make a transfer into future situation. So this is the kind of the overall protocol. Within that, we are very flexible. I don't know, 10, 20 years ago, before workshop or maybe a coaching, I really spent a lot of time thinking about, oh, what exactly can I do and uh, what could be a good approach? But I realized once the clients 
is here, things can go completely different and should go uh, probably completely different because uh, coaching is a very individual thing. So we're working a lot on what exactly at the moment of the coaching comes from the coachee, comes from the client. And this is the material we're working with. So uh, very individualized work within a kind of framework of uh, what I try to explain. Can you break down a little more detail? Let's say someone's listening to this and they're highly intrigued by what you're saying, which which I imagine will be the case. How would someone implement a... Pro- Read any of his books. A bunch of them are in English and they're good. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, that's a first, a first definite action to take. But, but how, how would someone implement some of the practices that you're talking about, Michelle, without a coach or without someone that they're actually actively working with? Oh, yeah. Maybe you do not need a coach, but just need some great hints. I tried to offer this kind of approach in one of my books, which was uh, translated into English last year. It's called Mental Toughness for Runners. And uh, there's a whole bunch of technique strategies that you can apply without a coach. I got some feedbacks from athletes as well as corporate executives telling me the strategies, they're very helpful for me. For example, there's a German ultramarathon runner who prepared with the techniques again and again for world championship. There is a swimmer who told me, I used the book for six months to prepare for world championship. And I really went deep into the exercises, into, into the stuff and did what you offered because just by reading you don't change that much it's like a running plan if a running coach tells you ah on monday you should run 10k on friday 30k and on sunday 20k just by reading you don't get better you have to go out and run (laughs) that's that's the same with the mental training stuff you have to do it you have to practice it again and again because one of the goals of mental training is that by repeating certain things you get routines, routines that later on, when you gain some expertise, you don't have to do it, execute it consciously. It just works on autopilot. And that's uh, one of the goals. You find routines that work for you and that uh, work on autopilot in moments that count most. So I think I'm really convinced that one can do a lot of mental training without a coach. But sometimes... It's like, imagine a barber cutting his own hair. <laughs> it's a good analogy. Actually. I've done this for 30 years. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <that's funny. laughs> so, so sometimes it's uh, it would it have some help. I Sometimes I get some clients, they tell me, I understood all the exercise. I've done some of them, but maybe you can offer me some other perspectives or some new perspectives on myself and uh, this can be enriching and very helpful for people can you break down michelle an exercise from the book and how someone would go about implementing it yeah for example a very powerful strategy is self-talk our brain never almost never stops working and uh, we're full of thoughts and we have the choice what kind of thoughts or self-talk 
we can talk it out loud or inner voice can be productive or can be negative and can rather get us away from our goals. For example, a self-talk like, don't put so much pressure on yourself. I don't know, many trainers, soccer clubs, or maybe a running trainer working with these kind of self-talk, which is a negative self-talk. They tell you what you should not do. The problem is, Our brain is not working like this. Our brain is working in an associative way. And every moment activating different areas of your brain. And there is always areas of imagery activated as well. So when you hear a tip or self-talk like, don't put too much pressure on yourself. You imagine yourself just in order to understand the root on a linguistic level, your brain has to associate with experiences, images of pressure, putting pressure on yourself. And this is always going hand in hand with emotions and with uh, bodily sensations. Like, uh, I don't know, your muscle is activated, your muscles contract, whatever. So when you're telling yourself or someone else, don't put too much pressure on yourself, you get what you don't want to get. So it's rather helpful for people to change these kind of negative thoughts or negative self-talks into positive ones, clearly indicating what exactly they want. For example, I want to run in a relaxed way. Once you have uh, this positive goal or image, You can start with a mental training program and uh, check out for situations, images uh, associated with moving in a relaxed way or having a, being in a relaxed state of consciousness, whatever. So I really very often see that people are working with negative self-talks and thoughts, which are not guiding them towards their goals, but into the opposite direction. And especially in, in high-performance situations, this is crucial. And this is really key for self-sabotage. Hey there, just going to interrupt Dr. Michelle for a moment. If you are a leader, a knowledge worker, or an entrepreneur, and you want to take your professional success to the next level while reclaiming time, space, and freedom within your personal life, then Zero to Dangerous may be a fit for you. Zero to Dangerous is our flagship peak performance training. You'll work one-on-one -on -one with our coaches. You'll go through our whole curriculum. You'll join a community of peak performers from all over the world. We're about seven or 800 strong at this point. It's an amazing group. So if that's of interest to you, go to getmoreflow.com, getmoreflow.com, pop an application through, takes 30 seconds. We will be excited to speak with you to see whether it's a good fit. So that's getmoreflow.com. Alrighty, back to Dr. Michelle. What I was going to ask you, Michelle, after anyway, was about your findings and research on optimal challenge skill balance and the performance enhancing aspects of flow related to that. But let's start with self-talk and the challenge skills balance. Do you think there is an interrelationship there? Definitely. There is some research indicating that a couple of mental training strategies measured by the, the top the test of performance strategies 
correlate with flow. And uh, self-talk is one of the strategies. Uh, there is a, a difference between yeah, the difficult of a challenge and, and the strain. For example, running a 10K or being a whole day in the office programming software, the work, the objective level of difficulty might be the same for everyone, but the individual perception of the difficulty is different. This individual perception depends on things like the way you talk to yourself, depends on your ability to move yourself into a level of activation, which means that you're not too nervous. It depends on the way you can cope with negative emotions. You can stop them and uh, change them into positive ones. So these techniques definitely have a huge impact on your flow experience. And then if you look at self-talk in a slightly different way and you think of using, for example, things like mantra that you're repeating again and again. I did so during a, during a race in, in Turkey, which was also a 250K race. On one day, I told my friends, this day will be my masterpiece. I didn't have any idea what happened. I just told myself, this day will be a masterpiece. <laughs> my masterpiece and uh, after the first 20k that were very tough because we got lost a couple of times and uh, i was running with a little group of two three people all angry and uh, the mood was bad and i suddenly said oh no i can't support this anymore i'm running on my own and after half an hour a guy passed by a turkish runner a handicapped runner with just one arm He passed by fast, very fast and smoothly. And I told myself, Jesus, he's running so fast, so smoothly. That's incredible. And you're fighting and uh, you're so slow. And then I decided to use one strategy the whole day, nothing else. It was a self-talk strategy. I told myself... Or oh, I found a self-talk strategy oh, to translate into English. It doesn't make really sense because uh, the sounding is important as well because it was a kind of uh, singing. I was singing my self-talk and repeating all the time the message like, I'm happy, I'm, I'm having fun, I run and have fun and I'm feeling free, something like this. So supporting emotion and bodily sens sensations that I wanted to experience. And I started repeating this self-talk like a mantra again and again and again and again, again and again. And I just realized after a half an hour, it's getting easier. I'm getting relaxed. It's really relaxed, easy. It's getting flowy. I'm getting faster. I'm running faster and faster. After one hour, I was passing by the next checkpoint. I saw the handicapped runner. He sat down and he finished the race. I just realized that he was uh, not in the same race group because uh, there was not just a 250K race, but also a 100K race. And these guys, they just run 10 or 20K a day. So he was able to run fast, uh, pass by, and then the race was already almost finished for him. But I told myself, well, you continue. You continue running because you're feeling better and better and uh, your, your emotions, uh, everything is getting better and better. And for the rest of the day, I was 
continue singing this mantra-like self-talk. I run and have fun and I feel free and it's uh, so nice to be here. I don't remember anymore. But it was amazing what happened because from this time on, I became so fast that finally I came in first on that stage way before local runners who were much, much stronger than me. When I passed future checkpoints, people are always asking me, Michel, everything is all right. You're so fast. You, you, you're running so fast. What happens? And I said, oh, no, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. I just, uh, I'm in a flow now and uh, everything is fine. And when I ran 30K at the beach after already having run 50K through the mountains, I just kept telling myself or singing to myself, oh, you run, you have fun. It's nice and fun. And it became an incredible experience. It was so effortless, so effortless. Although the objective workload was huge because it was a tough terrain. It was hilly. There was altitude. There was hills to run up and down. There was 30K beach section. During the day, it was 35, 40 degrees Celsius. So the objective workload really hard, but my individual perception was completely different. So I was able to put myself into a flow-like trance state using self-talk technique, which had another big advantage. When I started repeating my self-talk like a mantra, it was very hard for any negative thought to get into my mind because my mind was full of this one self-talk. And whenever... There was a moment when I realized, ah, but anyway, it seems like your leg starts aching. I used a technique called uh, thought stop. I really consciously stopped the thought, put it away, and started again my mantra-like self-talk singing. I run, have fun, I feel good, and everything works effortless. Uh, and finished, uh, and, and even at the finish line, felt great. So this is maybe a nice uh, story explanation how uh, self-talk can help put yourself into a flow-like uh, state. You know, Michelle, one of the things you said in there that I think is really key, and people don't quite get the power of it, you absolutely, with your self-talk, want to focus on how it's going to feel inside you. Describing the feelings you want to actually have is so critical, I've discovered. Yeah, exactly. And so one part of my mental training program is uh, the mental training I'm using myself to prepare for competitions or maybe for business stuff is what's your goal? What's the key challenges? And how do you want to master the key challenges? What exactly do you want to experience? So uh, what I'm doing myself, but also with clients is on the level of goal setting, Mostly people, we all set goals all the time. We're setting goals. But we're doing this mostly on a on result level. We define the result we want to achieve. But that's just one side of the medal. The other side of the medal, which is very key, or it's key important, especially to set up a mental training, an individual mental training program, is uh, the definition of process goals. This gives you the answer to 
what exactly do you want to experience when you master a certain challenge? What exactly do you want to feel? And with this answer in mind, you can start setting up visualizations that help you. This starts or helps you start setting up self-talk that's really individual and working for you. So the definition of um, process goal is very important in my view. And one of the basics I'm working in coaching in order to develop all the rest. Michelle, what are some of the biggest shifts that you observe in your own daily habits or practices today as a result of having research flow and peak performance so deeply at this point? A big shift a couple of years ago, just realized my wife, when I went out for a run and uh, I was doing a 50K training run, and I came back, she asked me, oh, you, you went out for a training run? Yeah. How far? 50K. Oh, okay. And I said, hello? Ah, okay. It's still 50K. <laughs> it's huge. <laughs> it's, it's a lot. <laughs> it's so much. So we realized how our perception shifted. Before the Atacama race, my longest distance I ran during the preparation was 29 K. And uh, I don't know, two, three years later, a 50K training run was nothing uh, special for my wife. So I really had to cool down and said, still, it's very special. <laughs> and uh, I'm very graceful that I can do this. And so we always have to uh, appreciate <laughs> small things or <laughs> even the bigger steps. That's a nice story where I realized that things are shifting. Respect to research. I realized that with the, the research I did, I was able to, to get a lot of interest. The running community was very interested in uh, what I do. Also, media was interested. But now I'm, I'm getting even more interested in how we can translate the findings into corporate business, into all-day uh, life. We are not all runners, but uh, we should be able to transfer some of the findings into different contexts, I think. And uh, this is something that uh, I would like to work uh, in the future on. That makes sense, Michelle. I like the, the running example. Sounds like your standards or assumptions around normality definitely expanded. So that's cool. One of the questions we love to ask, Michelle, is, is what we call the research genie question. So if you could, in the click of a finger, get the answer to any research question, probably a question that has been troubling you or that you've been pondering significantly, what would that question be? A uh, key question uh, in my view is, what are the physiological correlates of flow <laughs> and how can we measure them? Stick around, by the way. That's what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's what, yeah, what many people try to do, but I think it's still way to go. <laughs> Is that your question, Stephen? If you were to do the research, anyone would would that be the exact same? Honestly, I mean, yes. My for my entire adult life, that would have been my question. I now believe, I really believe what I say that we are getting closer and closer to the neurophysiological correlates. And now it's a matter of time. 
So if I'm going to spend my research question on something and it's a, you know what I mean? I got to go bigger. Right. <laughs> Michelle, is there anything else that you would like to share with folks about flow, about peak performance, your work, or anything else you feel like mentioning before we close things out here? Um, I think uh, spending some time with the with flow could be one of my golden five gold motivational tips <laughs> get some knowledge about flow because uh, it's such a powerful state of consciousness having direct indirect impact and it's really worthwhile uh, investing time on it whether you're interested in in peak performance in health or well-being doesn't matter amen Nice. Well, thanks, Michelle. It was super to have you on. It was great to, to chat. Thank you for all the time. Appreciate it a ton. Thank you, guys. If what you've heard on Flow Research Collective Radio has been helpful, please consider doing us a solid and leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you are listening to this. Reviews help us connect to a wider audience so we can get these peak performance principles out to more people.